from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. We are very careful to be hands-off with them and not habituate them to people. They're going to kill me that I said this, but wolves are actually big scaredy cats. They don't want to be around people. They run away, they're very shy, and we want that natural instinct to stay intact so that when they're in the wild, they stay safe and they run away from people and they don't get hurt. A little over a month ago, four American red wolves were released into the wild to a protected refuge of North Carolina. It was the first time such a release has been made of these endangered wolves in 20 years. And for St. Louis wolf lovers, the news was especially sweet. Two of the four wolves came from the Endangered Wolf Center right here in Eureka. It's in 2,000 acres of just gorgeous, wooded, um, very calm, very serene area. And the wolves just get to be wolves. I'm Sarah Fenske. Joining us today to discuss why this is important and how we got to this point is Regina Massadi. She is the Director of Animal Care and Conservation at the Endangered Wolf Center. Regina, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited. It's a great uh, great conversation to talk about wolves anytime. It's, it's one of our favorite things to talk about, obviously. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things to talk about, too. And today we actually have some good news. Tell us about these two red wolves that were able to move to North Carolina. Were they born there in Eureka? Yes. So two of the red wolves that moved out, a male and a female were born at the Endangered Wolf Center two years ago. So we've gotten to see them grow up, learn their personalities, get to know them. And the fact that they get a chance to run free now is just, it's incredible. So what made them good candidates for being able to be in this situation where they can run free? Sure. So the American red wolf is the most endangered wolf in the world. There's less than 20 in the wild. So it is really critical that the animals that we reintroduce to the wild succeed. They know how to stay away from people. They know how to hunt. They know how to defend their territory. And so when they're born at our our center, we are very careful to be hands-off with them and not habituate them to people. And the reason why is they're going to kill me that I said this, but wolves are actually big scaredy cats. They don't want to be around people. They run away. They're very shy. And we want that natural instinct to stay intact so that when they're in the wild, they stay safe and they run away from people and they don't get hurt. So we don't habituate them. We don't hand feed them. We don't pet them. We don't talk to them. I bet that's tempting. They're so cute. Oh my God. Especially the puppies are adorable. Um, But, you know, we know that it's for their survival. And so for these, this uh, male and female, we just watch their behavior. Who, which ones stay away from people well, which one works with their pack and their family really well. We record all that data, and then that's what we use to make the decision on who goes out. And so being standoffish is actually, this is earning them some points. Absolutely. The further they want to stay away from people, the better for them. And so they ended up going to North Carolina. Why there? Well, so actually the American red wolf is native to the entire southeastern United States. This is actually our wolf. It is solely native to the United States, from Missouri over to the East Coast, down to Florida and Texas. We actually used to have them here in Missouri, which is one of the reasons Mm. they're my favorite. Um, But we don't have them here anymore. The only place you can find them now is North Carolina. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service launched a recovery program in the 1980s to save this wolf. And so that's why they were released in North Carolina. And so that program was launched quite a few years ago. And for a while there, it was having some real success. I mean, when things were going well, how many did they get up to? We actually... This was the first reintroduction of a large carnivore in human history. And so U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the biologists that were behind that were so courageous to try and save this animal and learn as they were going what worked and what didn't. And it was going great. Um, We got up to 150 individuals in the wild. Um, But just a few years ago, there was a huge disinformation campaign that went through and really 
honed in on what we're, we grew up on, right? Think of what you've grown up on. Little Red Riding Hood, Three Little Pigs, everything that talks about the wolf being this big bad wolf when actually in, in reality, like I said, they're not. But there had not been a huge education campaign there. And so this campaign really increased poaching and animals being hurt. Was this an organized campaign or just more of word of mouth? People were, hey, let's let's get a wolf. Yeah, a little bit of both. I think people were um, not happy with the idea of wolves back there. And, and when you fear something, it makes it hard to conserve it. And so that's what we've learned at the Indigenous Wolf Center and with a lot of our partners is that we can't just focus on the biology, the, pa- the paws on the ground. We really have to have awareness and education in there so people understand how awesome wolves are and actually that they benefit us. We go to all this work because wolves actually benefit the ecosystem. They make it healthier and in turn, they make us healthier. So tell us how they benefit the ecosystem. Yeah. So one of the coolest uh, research projects that inadvertently happened was in Yellowstone. They released gray wolves in 1995 there. And what they saw is gray wolves had been extinct in that area for over 70 years, and the ecosystem had completely changed. Elk and deer populations skyrocketed Mm -hmm. without having a large carnivore there to help keep them in check. And so they were eating everything down to the dirt. When trees would fall, no new trees would replace them. Pollinator plants that were important for birds and butterflies were gone. Um, and so when the wolves came back, they started to bring the elk population back down to a healthy level. They didn't decimate the population. They brought it to a level that the ecosystem could sustain. They started to see the plants come back and the birds and the butterflies and fish and ducks and a whole bunch of things and realized, oh, my gosh, everything is so connected in nature. And we have got to help restore what we've lost. So that might have happened in North Carolina, too, except it didn't. The population got higher, and then it dropped again. And so it's things like poaching. Yeah, yeah. The, again, that misinformation really does, does damage. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that we're working so hard on Red Wolf Recovery is we want to see that success that we saw in Yellowstone in other areas of the country, too, so we can restore our country to our natural state that really, again, it helps benefit us. One of the things that I think that's really interesting to see is wolves reduce disease. You know, deer populations, we see this in Missouri, chronic wasting disease, things like that. Well, wolves like to go after the sick and the weak deer. They're mm-hmm. not going to go after the big, strong bucks They're going because that's too hard and dangerous. They're going to go after the sick and the weak. That helps keep that population healthier because now that one that they took out is not spreading that disease and also helps reduce spreading it to us. Well, so you've had these two little guys raised from birth um, there in Eureka, and now they've been sent to North Carolina, and here's a place that has had some trouble keeping keeping these wolves alive. Are you worried about these two? Always. Always. It's bittersweet to send our animals out to the wild, but we know it's the right thing to do. To help save this species is our priority and our mission. We were founded in 1971 by Dr. Marlon Perkins and his wife, Carol. You probably remember Marlon Perkins from Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom was the host. Um, he also was director of our St. Louis Zoo. And he founded our center because of all the animals that he saw and he worked with throughout his career. He saw the wolf as the most important and the most misunderstood in terms of helping the ecosystem. And so that is, that's a huge part of our mission is making sure we're saving these endangered species and and following through on conservation. So are scientists going to be watching these two as they're out there in the wild now? Yeah. So uh, myself and one of our keepers actually flew our wolves down there worked with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to put radio collars on them so that the biologists, once they were released, can actually follow them, make sure they're safe, make sure they're staying in areas that are are good for them, make sure they're doing what they're doing. And it was so awesome to actually open the door and release our wolves into the wild. It was a, 
I'm going to be honest, I cried <laughs> because it was just a, a cool experience to see that they get a chance to run free in this beautiful area in North Carolina. And did they take off right away? No, did, no yeah. backwards glances. <laughs> well, we put them in, in acclimation pens to start that are in the middle of the wild that they it helps them calm down and that they can eventually just, it's a soft pen that they can break out of and calmly walk out of once we're out of the area. And I got to ask, you mentioned flying with them. Um, what was that like, flying yeah. with two wolves? Yeah, we didn't get, you know, we didn't get coach or <laughs> first class. We actually got better. We were very lucky to have a local um Aero Charter, uh, and, and, um, a, which is a great donor for us, that donated a private plane to help fly us down there so we could get down, the animals down there faster, which was so much safer for them, and we could watch them the whole time to make sure that they were doing good. So we're very blessed very lucky. And were they pretty chill uh, as, on their private jet experience? Well, that's a, a perfect way to put it because we keep the cabin temperature very cold to help keep them calm, and they pretty much slept the whole time. They did really good. That's great. Yeah. So then they're in their new home. People are watching very carefully to see what will happen to them. The goal is that they'll breed. Yep. Yeah. We hope that they have puppies in the future and that their puppies go on to help save the species. And at two years old, is that in their near future? Yes. So that's why we choose two years old, because that's right when they're bre- uh, their breeding age, essentially. Um, so two years and older, it's kind of like our 18 to 25-year-olds leaving the house. That's about that age for them. So it's really good age for them to be able to form a family and, and go out and, and choose their own home to live in. So. We're talking today to Regina Masati, the Director of Animal Care and Conservation at the Endangered Wolf Center here in Eureka. Just had some remarkable success sending these these two young that they've raised from pups all the way back to the wild. Um, but you still have wolves on site there, and you also have a brand new American Red Wolf habitat. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that like, and, and how is that different than, than what you previously had? Well, so we actually added. Um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service established in 2016 that they want to grow this population. They saw that it was declining rapidly. They saw that not only do they need to put paws on the ground, but that we need to increase our awareness and education program. Um, and part of that was to grow how many animals are actually in managed care so that they have wolves for release, like what we just did. And so they actually set up a goal of, of doubling the cap the captive capacity, essentially. Right now, we're about 250 animals in zoological institutions across the United States. They want to get to 400. And so the Endangered Wolf Center and several of our donors stepped up and said, we'll help. And so we were able to build two new red wolf habitats that are going to be breeding enclosures, um, and we're hoping for pups next spring in them. And so you have a, a female and a male living there today. Mm-hmm. That's Cirilla and Ash? Yep. So they are a brand. We just finished construction about a month and a half ago. Um, we're, was doing this through the pandemic. It was crazy crazy to try and do it. Um, But we were able to finish it and we got our first breeding pair just a few weeks ago and immediately they bonded. They are totally loving each other, which is awesome. So if you want to see photos of Cirilla and Ash, you can check out our Twitter page. That's at STL on air. We also have a photo of Ash posted on our website, stlpr.org. I'm assuming why Cirilla and Ash are are still with you in Eureka as opposed to being in North Carolina. Are these guys a little less uh, shy around people? Not necessarily. The animals that we chose for release, it's based on genetics, and we want to make sure that the captive population stays as genetically healthy as possible. And actually, Cirilla and Ash are so genetically valuable, we don't want to risk sending them out right now. So that's why we want them to have puppies so that that we can make sure we retain those genetics. And oh my gosh, you have to check out Ash's photo. He's so handsome. He is very handsome. If people want to get a glimpse at him in real life, is that a possibility there in Eureka? Not necessarily Ash and Cirilla, because that those 
two habitats that we just built are actually off exhibit um, so that they don't get habituated to people. But we do have red wolves, Mexican wolves, African painted dogs, Maine wolves, and so many other animals that you can come see on uh, on our awesome tours that we host. And does this feel almost like a zoo where you're, you're kind of catching a glimpse of them, mm-hmm. but they're also in a very wild-like setting? Absolutely. So one of the things that I love about our center is they have huge natural habitats. Um, we're very lucky to be, um, we rent property from WashU and in, it's in 2,000 acres of just gorgeous wooded, um, very calm, very serene area. And the wolves just get to be wolves. And so it's a really great place to come see them. And so do they allow themselves being seen as they're going about their day? Do you get to see them eating, for example? Absolutely. So you can definitely come see them interact. We actually just had some Mexican wolf pups born. And we've gotten many of our tours have gotten to see the pups, not only the pups themselves, but interacting with mom and dad and playing with their older brothers. And it's just, it's pretty adorable. It sounds like just an amazing spot there. And this is a a space that's been growing. Yes. Yeah. We have grown over the last several years. This is actually our 50th anniversary this year. Congratulations. Thank you. 50 years that we've been here and we have helped save the Mexican wolf and the red wolf and several other species that we're working on conservation. So it's it's a pretty special place. I'm really proud to be able to work there as a St. Louisan, just knowing all the conservation work that we're doing. It's it's impressive. So I'd love people to come out and see. And so for people who are there, they might prefer that the wolves are a lot easier to spot, uh, that they're right up there and they can see them, you know, whenever they want to see them. But it sounds like it's important for wolves to have this space. Yep. And and what's cool about our space is it does a little bit of both. You get to see them pretty well, but it has they have the choice to be able to, to walk away if they need to. And several of our species don't have recovery programs, like the African painted dog and Maine wolf. So you get to see them up close, which is really cool. So that's more of like your classic zoo experience. Mm-hmm. Well, so you've made a great case today that wolves are an essential part of this habitat. If people are hearing what you're describing today and they want to help the work that you're doing, what's one way they can do that? Well, there's so many different ways. I think one of the coolest things that we have coming up is July 3rd. You know, I, I spoke about the American red wolf being our wolf, right? We want to save it like we were able to save the bald eagle. And so on July 3rd, we're partnering with World Bird Sanctuary and having a, a Stars and Stripes program where you can see their bald eagle and our red wolves. Um, but you can come for a tour anytime. You can come to an evening howl, become a member, and just share the information. The more people understand the wolves are not what you see on t- TV, the better for the wolves. So we want to just get the word out, the big bad wolf, that's fiction. Yep, it is fake news. <laughs> and when you say evening howl, we get to hear the wolves howl in yeah. person? So that program, we don't, because it's nighttime, you don't get to see the animals, but we tell really cool good wolf stories around the campfire. It's so fun for kids. And we walk down into the woods. It's so, the senses just kind of come alive. It's dark, the stars are over you. And we actually howl to the wolves and see if they'll howl back. And just when they all start singing at once, it is such a moving experience. It's one of my favorite things that we do. That absolutely sounds amazing. I know what I'm going to be doing with my kids this weekend. (laughs) Plans are being made right now. So Regina Masati, Director of Animal Care and Conservation at the Endangered Wolf Center, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. 
St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.